Welcome to Is This Real Life? A Bravo podcast that relates our favorite shows to our own lives and the world around us. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. everyone. I hope you had a great week. Uh, Thank you so much to everyone who reached out to me about my car situation. Last week, I backed into a cement column in a parking garage and I proceeded to cry, not just because I messed up my car, but it really reminded me of my mom, who is a terrible driver and always hit things with her car. Usually not other cars, just like our front porch, um, you know, a trash can, a tree, like she was a telephone pole. She was just awful. And um, it just really made me miss her. And thanks to everyone who that resonated with. It's unusual sometimes to have situations like that. And your reaction is that you miss your mom. But that was that was what happened. Regardless, I got the taillight replaced and the paint scratches off of my car this week. So it looks and feels good as new. (laughs) And I also went out on a little adventure this past Thursday night. I typically am home in bed like at, you know, 10, 1030, you know, lights out pretty shortly thereafter. And this Thursday, I ended up going not just out, but like to a club slash lounge, which like, I don't remember the last time I was at a club slash lounge to see Kyle and Carl from Summer House. They were in the D.C., Virginia area on Thursday. Didn't want to go all the way out to Virginia. It's not that far, but I was like, I don't really want to deal with that. This event was at least ticketed, so I was like, okay, it may be crowded, but it can't be like as crowded as a non-ticketed event. So me and two friends went there, and we had a great time. It was a really cool sort of rooftop lounge and uh, at a new hotel that I didn't even know existed. So it was it was so fun. Um, ran into Samaj there. Uh, he also has a podcast, and he was like, oh, yeah, um, Kyle and Carl and I like DM every once in a while. They said they're only going to stop by for 45 minutes or so. I was like, oh, of course. You know, I don't expect them to stay for a very long time. So they did come in, and Kyle was very drunk. <laughs> like, like exactly how you see him at 2 a.m. eating uh, snacks in the kitchen, like that level of drunk. And he looked just like, I think the character's name is Fred, but in Scooby-Doo, the blonde guy, his hair was like an inch or two above his head. (laughs) It just looked exactly like that cartoon character. And he was hugging people and like not making a whole lot of sense. And Carl is sober and clear headed and responsible and telling Kyle, hey, we actually need to go meet the owners. They're standing over here. Hey, hey, no, Kyle, we need to t- get a photo with the owners of this lounge. <laughs> like it was. But um, Carl was so sweet. He was talking about the strawberry lemonade that's coming out and where we can get it in the area and took a photo with us. And Kyle was just (laughs) such a mess. It was exactly like the show. It It was wild to see. What was also really wild to see is how aggressive people are at these events. 
I didn't like wait to see Craig or Austin at the event. I didn't really care about getting a picture or anything with them. I kind of hightailed out of there <laughs> as soon as that chaos was over. But at this event, I was like, oh, it'd be fun to just say hi, talk to them. But people were grabbing them, touching them. Like, it was weird to me. They're, they're still humans. Like, have a little bit of, like, I don't know, treat them with a little bit of respect. It felt like everyone was, like, grabbing onto them. I don't know how they do it. If I ever was treated that way by masses of people, I would be so anxious and really feel like I needed to get away from people and like, I I don't know. And I know that they know this is what it's like. They're doing a publicity event. So it's really about seeing the fans, but (laughs) the fans are cray cray. (laughs) Kyle also like, he looked at me and he was like, hey, and he gave me a hug and was, we were talking about lover boy, but he was not making a whole lot of sense in what he was saying. So uh, we ended up just going back out and enjoying the rooftop outdoor space. <laughs> so, oh man, I know that Kyle and Amanda's wedding is coming up in watching the show, but it's so awkward watching this season and all of the issues in their relationship and knowing that they end up making it down the aisle. I really hope that they're, you know, working on their relationship, that they are happy and everything, but there are just so many, I don't know, it just seems like there's so many red flags. Is it just me? I really thought it was odd that Amanda's parents are so involved in everything related to her finances And I know that can be the case if there is a trust from a grandparent, which is what her father alluded to, you know, like grandpa's trust. But I don't know, it feels like by the age that she is, she should know how much money she has to her name, what accounts are to her name, she should be filing her own taxes. My God, she's an adult woman. And to find out that her dad handles all of it was I thought it was very concerning because when you're merging your finances, it's like Kyle is doing this with her dad, not her. It, I don't know. It just felt very like she was acting like she was in high school and needing her parents to help her out with things. And I, granted, I had my dad do my taxes while I was in college and even maybe one year after. Um, but, you know, then I learned how to do it myself. And I don't know why Amanda hasn't. And it worries me. And I kind of see Kyle's side in some of this and that not saying she's like lazy, which is what he kind of alludes to. But there does seem to be some aspect of her where she just lets other people deal with things on her behalf, including all of the stress around owning a company. If she thinks she's going to get half of that company or half of whatever Kyle has upon a potential divorce, and she hasn't put in that effort, I I don't know. She hasn't taken out the same risks. All of it is just icky to me. I really hope things are better for them. And I don't know. Am I... Am I being too harsh on Amanda? I really like her. I like her on the show. I mean, she's very integral. She is the glue between Kyle and the OG cast members and the younger generation and Paige and Sierra and all of that. So without Amanda, we don't have any cohesion among the group. But 
I do think she has a little bit of growing up to do. Not to say that Kyle doesn't. Like, we all know Kyle's faults, right? And it was rough to see him in such a bad mood at this dinner. It was so awkward. I'm wondering, did you guys think he actually mentioned Lindsay's miscarriage at the table? Because we didn't see his lips move and say it. And people's reaction, while it was intense, it wasn't as intense as I would have expected it to be if uh, he said that, you know? I would imagine Lindsay would get more activated, but she held it together. I don't know how she does it. If people were constantly questioning everything I do, putting it under a microscope while no one's questioning like, hey, Amanda and Kyle, why are you actually going to go ahead and get married if you guys clearly hate each other and fight most of the time? No one's asking those questions in a group setting in front of them, directly to them, but they constantly, constantly go after Lindsay and her choices. Um, It did feel like this episode, we're really beginning to see the beginning of Carl and Lindsay when he was saying he wants her happy and he gives her credit for putting herself out there and dating. But he, he also sees that these aren't the right guys, but he's not speaking on that, right? Oh, man. Yeah, still recovering from that chaotic dinner scene and don't know why people wouldn't just be quiet and listen to Luke tell his stories. <laughs> I also love that he said that he read every DM from people. And I can vouch that that is true because uh, on Sundays when the Minnesota Vikings were playing, I would play that clip that of him and Carl singing the part of the Lizzo song, Truth Hurts, where they say, new man on the Minnesota Vikings. And I would play that like on my Instagram and he would always comment. I would tag him and we would talk about football back and forth a little bit. Um, And then a friend of mine actually reached out to him. I didn't even realize because he was raising money for the lymphoma society. I think that's what it's called. And, And she had a parent die from that kind of cancer. So she's like, hey, I just wanted to say thank you for raising money. It means a lot to me. I lost my father. And he actually reached back out and was like, oh, you know, thank you so much. Uh, My mom's actually been battling cancer for a while. And this is something he, I don't know, I don't think we've seen him talk about on the show. Sometimes I wish, and my guest and I talk about this a bit, that they showed a bit more of their lives outside of the summer house, where we got to see what they do in the city. We know a bit more about their home life. I feel like they're constantly forcing Kyle and Amanda's parents down our throat whenever there's like parent scenes. But I want to see the rest of their families a bit too. Um, I also love Carl's mom, but that's just aside. All right, guys, I'm so excited for my guest this week. His name is Blake Adam, and he has a podcast called Blonde Hair, Black Heart. We talk about the name a bit in the beginning of our chat. We also discuss Ashley Darby separating from Michael Darby. And I have been hearing all kinds of rumors swirling about what's going on during the filming this current season of The Real Housewives of Potomac. It sounds like Candace and Giselle go at it. It sounds like Giselle goes after Candace's husband, Chris. And then I also just found out that Chris is the manager at the bar restaurant club that is atop the Hotel Washington. 
which is a very sought-after place in D.C. So I might be heading there at some point in the future, seeing if I get a glimpse of, of uh, Mr. Chris Bassett. All right, guys, um, I think you're really going to enjoy my conversation with Blake. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and give it a five-star rating and write a kind review. If you have any criticism, especially constructive criticism, my DMs are always open. You can reach me at Mandy Slutsker on Instagram and Twitter, but I check my DMs more on Instagram. I feel like Twitter is just a very negative space, and I'm trying to limit the amount of time I spent on it for my own mental health and well-being. All right, guys, a quick break, and then we'll be back with Blake. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Hi, everyone. I am here with Blake Adam from the podcast Blonde Hair and Black Heart. Or Blonde Hair, Black Heart. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So how are you doing today? I'm good. It's Friday, so I'm I'm happy. <laughs> Me too. Where did you get the inspiration behind the name for your podcast? I mean, I yeah. know you're blonde. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Yeah, no, I was, um, I, as a kid, I was what they call a toehead, so like platinum blonde hair growing up. Um, and I always really like... Uh, loved my hair. My hair is like kind of my statement, you know, like everything else can go away as long as I never lose my hair. Um, So that's always been very important to me. It's like my identifier. And then, yeah, in terms of like Blackheart, my personality has always been like no bullshit, call it like it is. Um, I can be very, very blunt. And so a lot of times people read that as like, oh, he's just an asshole. But I actually am like probably the most sensitive person that you know. So I joke that like, no, my, like I have a heart. It's just black. Like it's there, but it's <laughs> it's just like a little darker maybe, you know? So yeah, so I just kind of combined those two things. I feel like they represented my personality and the vibe that I wanted to portray on the show, which is like fun and funny and maybe a little like ditzy at times and snarky, but also there's some heart in there if you dig deep enough. Oh, I love that. Snarky, but there's heart. Yeah. (laughs) And you've been talking a lot publicly about you and your husband's um, search for, you know, with adoption. Yeah. How is that going? It's going well. Um, It's definitely a roller coaster. We're about a year into the process. Um, We were just uh, what's called home study approved at the end of February. And so up until that point, we were basically doing all of the things that we needed to in order for the state of Arizona, where we live, to legally approve us to adopt. Um, So that includes, you know, financial records, background checks, interviews with us and our friends and our family. Um, They had to come see our house. So all of that took about a year. Um, 
which is longer than it normally takes. We actually moved in the middle of it. So that put like a big hold on things for a while. Um, but right now we're kind of just getting into the the stages of hopefully matching with a birth mom. And so a lot of that is like marketing ourselves and utilizing the tools that we have, which is social media and trying to put our faces out there and hopefully someone out there is pregnant or knows someone who's pregnant and might be considering adoption and they're going to, you know, pass our information along and, you know, we'll see what happens. Okay. Well, everyone listening, if you are pregnant or if you know someone who's pregnant and are considering adoption, please think of Blake. I think he would be a wonderful father. And I wish you so much luck with the process. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's super exciting. Um, I mean, you know that I'm going to have like uh, a a little baby who is, you know, flipping high chairs and like throwing, (laughs) throrong bottles of milk in their friends' faces. So I'm going to be a great dad. (laughs) Totally. You'll just be, you're like, oh, they're throwing a tantrum. I know what to do with this. (laughs) Exactly. This reminds me of Teresa. (laughs) Well, should we start with Jersey? Actually, before we start with that, I did want to talk about two big items in the Bravo news sphere this week. Ooh, let's do it. The first being Ashley Darby announcing her separation. Did you see this coming? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think we all saw it coming eventually. It was one of those things where we were just like, you know, they're clearly in some sort of arrangement. Um, They're both getting something out of it. And at a certain point, that arrangement will have ran its course. Uh, And I think that's what happened. I don't know if you saw, but a lot of people were sharing an old clip from Potomac where uh, she and and Michael were reevaluating the prenup and basically saying, like, you got five, five more years and then you'll get half. And so when did she announce that she was leaving him? Five years later. (laughs) So I think the I think the arrangement ran its course. And she got those two kids. And that's what she wanted. And she's famous. And he, in my opinion, he kind of ruined his life for a reality show. Um, But so many of them do, you know? (laughs) I wonder how many people in the real estate development business in the D.C., Virginia, Maryland area actually follow the show. I mean, the show has a significant following, but, you know, do they know do they know him from his work or do they know him from the show? You know, I mean, everyone is Googleable now. And, yeah. um, you know, there's I, I haven't Googled Michael Darby lately, but I'm sure if I did, it, it, you know, everything that I'm thinking of would show up right at the top. So I don't think you can really like run from those things. Plus, I'm thinking back to like, I don't know, I feel like their restaurant that they had, Oz, I feel like that would have been more successful if they weren't on a show. And I feel like that's probably the opposite of what they were thinking. I think a lot of the the reality stars go into it thinking we want the promotion, but the restaurant was made into a joke on the show. Like all of the other ladies were kind of laughing about it, being like, who's going to eat kangaroo testicles? Like that's not a thing, you know? So it became kind of like a punchline more than a storyline, in my opinion. Um, I feel like that concept though, had it not been attached to the Real Housewives probably would have done okay. I don't know. I'm not a restaurateur. <laughs> I'm not either. I, I had eaten at Oz before. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah. It's in the you know area. It's, you just have to cross the river to Virginia. It was okay. It wasn't amazing. And I feel like had it not been on the show, I wouldn't have even thought of trying it because no offense to people from Australia, but like it's not like that cuisine is no, you know, it's not like the 
most sought after cuisine. You know how people talk about like Italian food and Mexican food and Greek food. It's not like oh Australian food. <laughs> like it's just- yeah, but I but I almost think that's why it could have done well because it was so out there. Mm-hmm. And I've just you know I feel like we we all were kind of blinded by the success of like Bethany, you know, and we're all like, oh yeah, like you, you become a housewife and then you become a billionaire. And we really haven't seen that since. Like there hasn't been any other housewife um, endeavor that has been successful, honestly. And, and I mean, you, you put aside those who had their businesses beforehand, like Lisa Vanderpump, all of that, but candy right, right. Exactly. Um, but I don't know. I think that it's really difficult. You know, these housewives, they come on a show and they or they and their husbands or their partners or whatever try to start a business. And again, it, it ends up just being a joke. Like, again, I think of like Kelly Dodd's positive water and like what, you know, what I, I feel like that probably hurt the brand more than helped it to have her attached to it, you know? And so things like that, where I feel like, yeah, Michael Darby has just always been uh, a punchline on the show so i think that didn't really help his side hustles at all yeah i mean his main hustles like he yeah. he had so much money from real estate development and then when the market and everything tanked uh and the financial collapse in 2008 i think he lost everything and had to rebuild it from the ground up now when i was doing a lot of digging into him when i was trying to figure out did he really own part of this, uh, the Watergate Hotel, like, you know, that kind of thing. I found out that he moved to the US to become a professional skier. Oh, okay. That was in a Washington Post story about him from 2011. And see, that's so interesting. Like, why was that never discussed on the show? Like, that is actually some some rich backstory, you know? Right. There is a lot about his financial backstory that is fascinating. To, like, lose everything and build it all back up is is interesting. I know PK went through that as well. Yeah. Where and, in and 2008. P- yeah. Yeah. And PK has been very vocal about all of that. And he talks mm-hmm. about his bankruptcy and all of that. Um, kind of a missed opportunity uh, season one, because Ashley right out the gate was questioning Robin's finances and all right. of that. So it would have been um, a really good segue. And maybe maybe her intention behind it was to connect and be like, look, like my husband's gone through that shit, too. But she certainly didn't say it. So it would have been a good opportunity to her for her to kind of bring up that backstory, um, because that is really interesting. I, n- I never knew any of that. Yeah, I didn't either. Now, Ashley goes to a bunch of parks that my friends go to with their kids. And they see her pretty regularly with her children playing at the playground. And my view on her and Michael's marriage is that it was fine until they had kids. And he didn't seem to really want to have kids at his age, but he did it for her. And she doesn't seem to have an equal partner in raising them. She's always by herself at these parks. And I think maybe she... Now, you know, if she fully leaves him because, you know, it's just a separation and we'll see if people can get back together. But maybe she's looking for someone who's more her age, an equal partner that wants to do things with her. I feel like she does a lot alone. Yeah, she certainly does. I I definitely think she's raising those kids alone. Um, And and I'm not trying to, like, speculate on anyone's motives or... or, Or, or morals either, because I, I'm not trying to, to judge this, but I do think 
that getting kids was like part of that arrangement that I was talking about. I think she went into this with like kind of an end game. And that was like, you know, get money in the bank and get some babies. But I don't think that, I mean, even the way that they've talked about each other over the course of the, you know, six years that we've been watching them, they, it's always been kind of like, uh, yeah, well, I mean, like, we'll see for now, you know, it was never like, this is my partner for life. So I think they've always had that kind of, um, tentative approach to their relationship and and who knows maybe that's healthy for some people to be like look like this might not be forever it's for now you know and i definitely think that that's how ashley at least was looking at it i don't know about michael but ashley i think always kind of knew that like this might not be end game well speaking of end game I think Nene Leakes has lost the plot because (laughs) this week she filed a lawsuit against producers, the production company, uh, True Entertainment and Truly Original behind Real Housewives of Atlanta, as well as Bravo, executive producer Andy Cohen and NBC Universal for fostering a corporate and workplace culture in which racially insensitive and inappropriate behavior is tolerated, if not encouraged. (laughs) And I was expecting bombshells. There were none. The only argument she makes in this lawsuit is that Kim Zolciak Behrman did and said racist things and was not kicked off the show as a result. She's got like no case with this. She was recently on Instagram Live with Kim as if they're old buddies. Well, that yeah, they're they're like tight again, and I think that that's a, a really weird. Um, it, it's weird for her to be publicly, you know, friends with Kim again and trying to use Kim as like her one example of how she was mistreated during this time. Um, and and here's my thing: is like obviously we've seen that there are problematic housewives. There are things that happen and things that are said that are definitely racist. I'm not, I'm not trying to deny that. However, um, to say that like the, the company and, uh, Bravo, NBC universal, Andy Cohen were, were kind of fostering that work environment, um, and, and mistreating their employees because of their race. I don't see it that way because it's been historically, uh, reported that the Atlanta housewives are the highest paid of, any city they are constantly right 100 they're like the top rated show i i feel like they have the most amount of spinoffs that they've received um so to me i i don't see like this batch of ladies being given the the short stick compared to like the the white their white counterparts um at least not by the network now that's not to say that like their their castmates aren't doing or saying racist things but then sue kim you know (laughs) yeah the whole thing was i just expected more there i also expected because she was going about it saying all this stuff in september 2020 when her relationship with the network and production fell through and she wasn't going to go back on the show and she said, you know, Andy Cohen is racist and all this crap. And I expected a lawsuit soon thereafter. So to have it now, I'm wondering why now did she try to get back on the show and it didn't work? So she's, you know, feeling vengeful. Yeah. So I heard um, a report, and this is allegedly, that she was slated to get her own spinoff um, similar to Candy and the Gang about her uh, like nightclub that she runs. Mm-hmm. And 
basically producers or, or, you know, the network or whatever during casting or during, you know, like while getting uh, the initial um, footage, they were just like, this isn't working. It's not giving us what we need. And they pivoted and ended up giving Candy the the spinoff. And so this, and this was all around that time when all of the, these deals were being made was in like mid 2020. So I heard that that is why she ended up not returning to Real Housewives of Atlanta last year and, and kind of why she blew up towards Andy and the network. However, if that is the case, and again, I'm, I'm not saying it is, but if it is the case, that doesn't prove anything racist because Candy's also black. So how, how is that a, like, I, I, that just doesn't make sense to me. I, none of it makes sense to me. I, it's, and she was, I don't know. I mean, I'm definitely not the right person to speak on these race issues. I just feel like Nini, towards the end of her time on the show, it became so painfully obvious that she was like, you know, a narcissist. I mean, a lot of people are, but she, her narcissism led to these like delusions of grandeur. I mean, the show is only about me. I'm the most important. I can, you know, throw my weight around and get what I want. And then when she finds out she can't, she become, it's like a narcissistic rage that we see. And I mean, I, for one, feel like she's lucky she didn't get sued or in trouble for, you know, hurting a cameraman and putting him in the hospital. Right. (laughs) Yeah, well, I also think she probably would have had a, a much better case or would have had more people, you know, on her side if she was arguing that maybe Bravo and the producers and Andy fostered like an unsafe and um, like like a dangerous work environment because, you know, there's been violence and all that. But you just made a good point. Like she's part of the violence. So like it, it's hard to argue any of what she's saying, in my opinion. It's just really sad because She's such a joy to watch on TV, and I really wanted her to come back in some capacity, maybe not on Housewives, but to do something. Like, I would love to see a show that she's a lead on, but I think, like, she can't, she doesn't play well with others, right? Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, she she was a joy to watch on screen for me up until, you know, maybe the last season of Atlanta, and, and then she, for me, was kind of insufferable. I mean, you can tell when someone on any of these shows just doesn't want to be there, and they're just, like, not participating. Um, and that was her for me that last year. And it's really unfortunate because there was a time, you know, like the like when she was just at the top of her game and she was booking like legitimate TV show gigs and like an, an actual actress and she could have gone really, really far, um, down that road, in my opinion. And I don't know what happened. I think it must have been an ego thing. Like you said, she can't play well with others. And I don't think that that translates to like a professional Hollywood set, you know? Um, So yeah, I mean, she she really uh, fell from grace, in my opinion. I think so, too. I think she just sees herself as the leading lady in every situation. She never wants to be part of an ensemble. And uh, people can only put up with that for so long, you know, even if you're charming. Yeah, definitely. And we've seen that the show does go on. It does. It does. Now, you know, getting to Jersey, finally. Yeah, New Jersey. Do you think the show could go on without Teresa? I mean, I, I do. I think it, I think all of them can go on. Um, there has, I, I don't think, I mean, there hasn't been a, a housewife that's left and the show has just kind of like disintegrated. Um, 
but I do think that she's a really valuable player. I don't want to see her go. Um, I think it would certainly change the tone a lot. Um, but I also don't think that Teresa was necessarily slated to be the star of the show. You know, that oh, first no, season, definitely not. Yeah. That first season. She, uh, I mean, she obviously the table flip at the end. Yes. She, she, you know, found her, her moment, but the majority of the season was really about like the Lorita family and the Manzos. Um, so I think that you can have really compelling stories on this show uh, without Teresa or with her just as like a side player. Um but unfortunately, I don't I don't think that I mean, it's tough. I don't think she's going anywhere. I don't think we'll ever see her gone. And unfortunately, I think that she's one of those housewives that just has like such a huge, huge impact on the fans. Like, I think now her impact is more on the fans than it is on the show, if you if that makes any sense. It does. People... So I don't think we would ever <laughs> let her leave. I feel like there would just yeah. be such an uproar. People are so um, invested in her and willing to kind of like you can like her and still admit her behavior is bad. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I, like I said, I think she's great on the show. I think she's uh, one of the probably top five housewives of all time. But I can also say, like, I rarely agree with her. I think that she's like nuts. And I don't think that her um, like. I don't think she is rational. I don't think that she can really think things through, but I can also say like, she's great TV. (laughs) Yeah, she totally is. But Oh man, do I feel bad for her family members? You know, I think, I think that's, yeah. And that's kind of where I was going when I was like, you know, unfortunately I don't think we'll ever get to see her walk away from the show. And I, and I say that not as someone who wants to see her walk away, but I think she needs it. I think she is at a place where like, this is, become a very, very toxic environment for her. And I don't think she's the best version of herself around these women. Um, But I think that, like I said, the fans will never let her leave. And I also think that she loves the fame and I don't think she would walk away. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. What do you make of the feud between her and Margaret? I think it's a great feud. I, I really do. And I... I like them both on the show. I think both of them are equally um, right and equally wrong in certain situations. And I think that, you know, like this most recent episode, for example, like, yeah, I thought Teresa was crazy for like throwing all of the drinks on Margaret. But I also think that like Margaret can't be that mad when she's poured drinks on someone and like push someone in a pool. And so I feel like, you know, in this situation, Teresa's wrong, but like Margaret's also done it. So like, I'm not picking a side there, you know? Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. I d- yeah. I'm firmly on Team Margaret with this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I just feel like Teresa was so aggressive in what she did. And then it's she ran to her again. And we found out via, you know, other people on the show that production actually asked Teresa to leave the yeah. house that they were staying and go to a hotel. And she was like, no, Margaret should be the one leaving. She's just delusional. And, you know, it's. Yeah, it's she's tough. tough. <laughs> I, I can totally understand how frustrating it would be to have a conversation with her. Yeah. Um, I'm a firm believer that like part of what makes these shows work is the conflict, but it's also the resolution. And with Teresa, there's never any resolution. And so that's, that's my problem with her. That is my problem with her too. She can't move forward. She can't let go of things. She can't see things from other perspectives. She is 
she's an emotional terrorist. Like yeah, when uh, yeah. she's like, I wrote it down. I, she said, um, I didn't say, but Melissa, tell her I didn't say, but and like tr- th- constantly threatening to end the relationship with her brother and Melissa over anything. If they don't do, if you don't do this, then I'm never going to speak to you again. If you don't do this, then I'm going to, you know, she's always holding things over people's heads and threatening them to behave a certain way. And they always comply. And Margaret's right. the first one to be like, yeah, you guys tiptoe around her and try to prevent her from having these crazy outbursts, but I'm not going to play that game. Yeah, definitely. And another example of that too, you know, it it was several episodes ago, um, but God, I forget the context. Oh, oh, it was when, you know, um, Tracy, Tiki Barber's wife, she was trying to explain to Teresa, um, like, just defend your brother when Jen Aiden made that Instagram post and called him like a scammer or whatever. She was like, just defend your brother and just say to your friend, like, that's not okay. And Teresa is saying like, they don't need me to defend them. I like, they're fine. They can stand up for themselves. And then it cuts to her confessional. And she's like, why aren't Joe and Melissa telling Tracy to shut the hell up? And it's like, wait, so you're saying they don't need you to have their back, but in your confessional, you're like, why aren't they having my back? Like, it's very confusing to me. Um, She's extremely hypocritical. And it's like, you can tell she, she doesn't get it at all. Like she doesn't understand what the word even means. Uh, she truly believes that she's in the right. And I think that's like the craziest bit for me. Totally. And I get why Melissa and Joe, you know, walk on eggshells because that's family and, and they can't just, you know, cut each other off so easily. But what I don't get is why her friends accept this behavior and Dolores in particular And I think we're going to see the dissolution of their friendship because, you know, Teresa's standards can never be met. No one ever meets them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. Oh, man. So crazy. Okay. uh, If you were uh, able to choose between going shopping with Teresa, writing a country song... (laughs) or going on a pontoon with the guys, which would you choose for an afternoon? God, um, I mean, the pontoon looked fun, but I'm like not much of a drinker. So I I truly think that like I would have, I would have just gotten like really sick and like maybe fallen off the boat and died. Uh, so not that <laughs> one. Um, I, I think I would do the song. Uh, I mean, it was like absolutely ridiculous, but um, prior to my, my life as a podcast host, I was actually a, a songwriter for a long time. And, oh yeah. my goodness. Tell us about yeah. that. Where, where oh, did you, in Arizona? No, I used to live in LA. I actually still, I still work in, in the business um, for like my quote unquote day job. But yeah, I was a, uh, like a, a songwriter and I wrote for a lot of other artists. And then I had like a recording solo project that I did. Um, if what? It, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That's so, so cool. Yeah. So if, any, if anyone wants to look it up, my music is still on like Spotify and Apple music and everything. So I used to go by the stage name Casper, like the ghost, but mm-hmm. it's just, it's, there's no E. So it's just C A S P R. Um, but if you look me up on, I'm on there, it's kind of embarrassing. It's like, you know, some, some fun 
pop. That's so cool. That's stuff. not embarrassing at all. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I would have, you know, done some some lady drama. Lady drama. You got it from your mama. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but I have to say, I actually, I mean, the lady drama song was was terrible and actually gave like a really bad rap for Nashville songwriters, in my opinion. But the song from the Real Housewives of Orange County last week was a bop. Like I'm making it my ringtone. Like I, I honestly, <laughs> it's so good. Um, Richard Marks nailed it. It was such a good song. <laughs> I thought it was a good song too, but they were so auto-tuned. It was just, I couldn't help but laugh. I, I know. And then I was listening to uh, Heather's podcast um, after that. And she was saying that like the first cut she got back of it, like their voices were so auto-tuned that they literally sounded like professional, like pop stars. And she had to send it back and be like, it, 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 like it, they, it needs to sound at least a little bit like the actual person singing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, that's so funny. What an interesting, so you've dealt with like, you know, egos and celebrities and all of that in this space for sure. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I mean, this is like a decade ago, but I used to work, um, I was a booking agent for a recording studio and like a live venue in Hollywood. And so I would interact with people on a daily basis and some of them were fantastic and some of them were such divas, but it was always an adventure. Um, I got to meet a lot of really cool people. I, I actually got to meet Prince like the year. he. What? The, I'm from Minnesota year, originally. Oh my God. Yeah. Like it was like the year before he passed away. I think it was like wow. 2015 or something. I got to meet him very, very briefly. Like it's, we weren't like, you know, chatting it up, but I was like, hi Prince. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. What's the craziest ask you've ever gotten? like in terms of a diva type request? Um, I mean, honestly, like don't, don't look at or acknowledge them. I thought was weird. Creepy. Yeah. Especially when you're in like a professional space. Um, and, and so, like I said, I was running, uh, like a recording studio. And so a lot of these stars would come in to work there. And if I'm running the studio, I kind of have to be in charge in some, in some capacity, even if it's, if it's just being like, Hey, here's how this shit works, you know? But if I can't like, if I can't like look at you or acknowledge you, I can't do my job. So that would be, that was kind of weird. And then a lot of weird stuff on riders, like weird um, food requests and just like very strange, like I want this type of candy, but like only, only the red ones. And I, you know, luckily I had an intern, so he would like pick out the red M&Ms or whatever, but weird, weird stuff. Cause they literally all taste the same. That is <laughs> <laughs> like if when people get to that level of fame where you're requesting things that are so asinine, it makes you out of touch with oh, everyone and everything. Totally. And it makes you a worse human being. Like you 100%. start to lose empathy for others because 100%. that's such a ridiculous thing to, uh, okay. And, and, and it's and always, on. it's the ones you <laughs> least expect too. It's like the, the people who are like newer to the game. I mean, I kind of relate it to like that old money, new money thing. Yes. Where like the, the, the newer stars or like the, the, like the influencers or the YouTubers or whatever, they're like such little a-holes. And then I remember, uh, you know, before I was even working in the industry, I was waiting tables in Los Angeles for three years. And I mean, I met a million celebrities doing that too. 
And I remember one time I was like working the host stand and Catherine O'Hara came in from Schitt's Creek and wow. uh, the Beetlejuice movie, like so many, so many things. She's an icon. She's literally an Academy Award winning actress. And I had to tell her like, oh, there's like an hour long wait. And she was like, oh, that's fine. We'll wait. And she just like stood up by the host stand and like chatted with me and was like the coolest ever. And I'm like, if anyone could be a diva, it's Catherine O'Hara, you know, right. not like some some like random YouTuber who has, you know, like a, a, a newer following. I don't know. I mean, the same is true in D.C. with politicians, right? Oh, there yeah. are some who are fantastic and amazing to their staff. There are some who are great on issues, but horrible to their staff. And I mean, there is one member of Congress. I don't know if he's even around anymore who wouldn't even let his staff eat when he was in the office because he didn't like the smell of food. You couldn't heat up things in the microwave. You couldn't eat in the office. <laughs> so ridiculous. So like so they ridiculous. only could eat in the office when the when it, you know the house was on recess and the member was back at the home district. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. That's crazy. And you and work it, crazy hours. You have to eat something. Ex- exactly. Yeah. I think we see a lot of this too with like, you know, our housewives or our reality stars. And I think um, a lot of them who have been doing it for like a decade are probably way nicer to the fans than like the brand new housewives who think that they like are hot shit because they're on a show all of a sudden. That's so funny. Yeah. Oh, my God. There's a lot of similarities in terms of just like ego and expectation. And yeah. Yeah. And again, (laughs) like when when referring to like, you know, the housewives or reality stars, it's such a catch 22 because on one hand, we're like, you know, they're they they do have huge egos and they're such monsters. But also we're like, that's what the show needs. So like, I hate it, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind when housewives are assholes, uh, when politicians who are elected, you know, public servants, they you have to interact with the public. They elected you and you work for them. It's yep. very different, you know, than I don't know, reality TV stars. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah. No, one, 100%. <laughs> Although I will say Shannon Bedore for president 2024. <laughs> Wait, why? Why Shannon Bedore for president? I, I'm, totally, I'm totally kidding. Real for real cuisine for everyone. Like, <laughs> microwavable salmon on everyone's plate in America. With cream no. cheese. Yeah, middle. no, I, I, I just pulled her. She was the first one I thought of. I don't know. <laughs> that is so funny. Well, let's uh, head over to the OC. My uh, favorite. I'm like, oh, I'm such a loser. Even this season, I still love it. I still love it. Oh, I never meet people who love The Real Housewives of Orange County. Tell I me, know. like, why do you love it so much? Well, it is, it is the original. It is mm-hmm. the first one that I watched. And when I started, it was probably around, like, 2014. So there was already, like, eight or nine seasons enough for me to binge. So I, like, fully dove in. And that was my first, uh, like, entree into bravo in general so for me it's like home you know home base um i also think that in the middle there like i want to say seasons like maybe eight to eleven or like seven to ten somewhere around there like the heather dubrow shannon bedore vicky tamra brooks cancer year like all of those years i personally think and this is a controversial opinion those are the best seasons of any housewives city Ever. I think that they are truly what housewives are all about. It's not about like, like weird national FBI scandals. And it's also not about like 
petty nonsense, like, hey, you were late to lunch, but it's like real gritty, true people drama. Yeah. I mean, not that like everyone is faking cancer, but (laughs) it was so so compelling. A compelling storyline. It's shocking the lengths he went to to try and keep this, you know, I (laughs) to try and keep it going. I mean, he had fake letterhead from the MRI facility. That's how it was crazy. Oh, my God. That's how Megan King figured it out. She like contacted the MRI facility and showed and they, they, they were like, that's not our letterhead. Yeah. Yeah. And even before that, you know, like even the few seasons before that, you know, Shannon's first season where it was really her and uh, Heather going at it. But I feel like there were they were a true friend group and there were a lot of shifting dynamics over the course of a season. You would see two people be best friends and then become enemies and then become friends again by the end of the season. And there were a lot of like teams like rotating around and we don't really see that in other cities. Like in New Jersey, the teams have been set for three years now and no one has changed sides and it just is what it is in Beverly Hills. We've got like the, the Foxy five or whatever the hell they're called. And like, they're a group and yeah. And it's like, no one's getting in, no one's getting out, you know? So I appreciated during those years of OC, like you really saw what goes on in a true friend group, because I think they were truly a friend group. Yeah, and that's what they're trying to get back to. I think Bravo is trying to make sure that these women are actually friends rather yeah. than just like casting people to join a group. They're trying yeah. to find people that have some sort of organic connection because when it's manufactured, it's obvious and the audience doesn't like it. Yeah, and I also think that's why it, it's difficult when they rotate in like one season wonders in and out really quickly because even if someone's not great their first season, like you're never going to get that true authentic friendship dynamic if you don't give them some time to like become friends, you know? Um, so there are there are several that I'm glad that they got that chance to stick around because I think by their second or third year, they really stepped it up. And there are others that I think we lost out on because maybe they didn't give enough their first year, but I, I saw more potential in them, you know? So who have you seen more potential in? List like three housewives. Okay. So this is, again, controversial. I think we should have gotten at least one more season of Carlton the Witch. <laughs> okay. Um, I think, like, her going up against Kyle was, like, incredible. Do you remember when she, like, put a hex on her computer or something? <laughs> it was <laughs> so good. Um, I think Lizzie Robzak from, I think that's how you say it, yeah. Robzak, Robzak from uh, Orange County. I thought she was great. And she and- came back as a friend the second year, but but I really wanted more from her. Um And especially, too, because I know she's connected with, like, Emily now. And so I think there are some women where, like, they they got sent away too soon. And it's like, now they have friends on the show. And it would, like, it would make sense for them to be on it still. Um, Let me see. Who else do I think deserved? Oh, oh, oh. um, The one I'm so upset isn't coming back this year on Atlanta. She was um, Kenya's friend last oh, year. LaToya. She, yes. And she kept going at it with Drew the whole time. She, I don't know why she's not coming back. She was great. And I thought she, I was expecting her to get a peach, like get an, a promotion and she's not coming back. So, yeah, I mean, I think we, we get a lot of players who just aren't given the opportunity to really shine, you know, I mean, Teresa, yeah, everyone loves her because she's been doing it for like 15 years, you know? Um, So maybe we would all love LaToya. Who knows? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that some of the people are, are kicked to the curb too quickly. Now, in terms of this season, 
Do you think Noella and Dr. Jen should both be given another chance? I I actually do. Um, but I think we need a bigger cast. I think, uh, again, I think what helps in those like shifting dynamics that I spoke of is, is having a bigger cast, even if that's just having like maybe a couple friends of, I honestly think this season would have been even better had we not lost Nicole James. Um, I thought that was a, a big loss in the show. Not that she in particular was so great, but just that we were missing out on another piece of the puzzle. You know what I mean? And she also, she knew Dr. Jen, she knew Noella, she knew Heather. So it was a a connection. She knew Shannon from a decade ago. So it was another, you know, authentic piece of that puzzle. Um, But I think Noella is great. Not in that. I like her. I think she's batshit crazy. I don't believe anything that she says, but I think that she is good for the show. Um, Dr. Jen, I think, is one of those that I spoke of that I think could could be good if given the chance. I agree. And I, I totally and I, agree. Yeah. And, and I've said this before on my show and I've said it on, you know, some other interviews that I've done. I think the problem with this season of Orange County, and this is where I'm, I'm like, so I'm such a... Uh, I'm so contradictory to myself because I just said, like, I love Noella. She brought a lot to the show. But I also think she hurt the show in a lot of ways because when one person is such a lightning rod for drama, like for everyone on the cast, it doesn't allow there to be any other storylines. You know, I felt like every group scene, everyone was just so hyper-focused on like the nonsense Noella was spewing that there wasn't the possibility for anyone else to really have any drama, if if that makes sense. Um, so I think while she was good and she did bring a lot, I think all that she brought maybe detracted from what some of the other ladies could have brought to the table and maybe just having a few more players in there to mix things up would have helped that. Oh, I totally agree. Do you think that it's time for Emily and Gina to go? I, I'm torn because I actually liked them more this season than I have in past seasons, but I still don't think either of them are like all-star housewives. Um, I feel like I'd probably rather have Gina stick around just because it like party. (laughs) Um, I haven't figured out how to change my ringtone and I have had that ringtone since like college. Oh my God. I love it. If my phone rings, rings, like I said, it's going to be, I do whatever I want. (laughs) So, um, what was I even saying? Oh, I, I like Gina. I think Gina actually had some drama with the other women, whereas Emily was more like puppeteering drama, if that makes sense. So I'd rather have someone in the mix than, than just the mixer. I'm using a lot of metaphors. I'm probably make no, no sense. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just, I just feel like they are like, they come as a package deal and, you're right. Gina has formed an authentic connection with Heather, but there's just something missing with them. And yeah. I feel like, but the thing is, Noella doesn't have an authentic connection with anyone. No, not even with Shannon. Even with Shannon, like, yes, they are friends because they have to be friends because they don't really have anyone else. But like, that's not an authentic connection. Yeah. Oh, do you think they're going to bring Tamara back? I do. I think they'll bring Tamara back. I think they'll. I think they'll at least try and bring Vicky back in some capacity, whether it's a friend. I don't think she would do that, but I think maybe they would try. Um, But I also, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Vicky and Tamara are 
legendary housewives. No one did OC like they did, but people are, are quick to forget that like they were on the show with the exception of last season, they were still on for like all of those years where the show was still, you know, on a downward slope. Like, it's not like, you know, seasons 12, 13 and 14 were like the best ever. Like even prior to season 15 and 16, people were saying what's going on with OC, you know? So while I think that they, can bring something back and, and bring an added element back. I don't think that like the two of them make or break Orange County. I personally think it's more about the, the, the whole picture. You know, I think it's about Vicky, Tamara, Shannon, Heather. Those to me are kind of like the OC glue. Again, I'm talking like the best seasons I've ever seen were like, it was the four of them, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I feel like with Vicky, it, she has a little bit of a Nini element to her where she thought she got to call all the shots. And when they pushed back and were like, no, actually you don't get to do that. She just went nuts and yeah. it probably wasn't fun to work with her, you know? And then she was dating Steve Lodge and tried to become this buttoned up conservative version of herself yeah, as opposed to just being herself. And I felt like right. we didn't really get anything from her during those years yeah there were there were like two two seasons i feel like we're we're while vicky and Tamara were still on the show and people were saying like this is shit like the whole season with the train rumor and all of that like they were there and that still wasn't a good season so i i don't think that like you know the fans that are just like the show has sucked since vicky and Tamara left like yes that's true but it also sucked before that too that's fair that is very fair um, in the Shannon versus Heather of it all, how did you like, what did you feel when you saw them kind of hash it out, especially when Heather said, you know, I can't believe you brought this up, this lawsuit that Terry went through. I knew stuff about you. I knew when, you know, David had an affair and I didn't bring it up. Yeah. So I will preface this all by saying I love both Shannon and Heather. They are probably two of my favorite housewives um heather maybe a little more i i like really relate to heather and i don't know what the hell that says about me but <laughs> I um that. i you know i I've, I've said this before it's like maybe because we're both capricorns maybe it's because we both are like theatrical maybe we're both just assholes i don't know but i i really i love both of them and I've said this before. I tweet it like once a week. I think if the two of them teamed up, they could be like such a powerhouse duo in this whole situation. I really think it was just about two, two women who wanted to come back together and like, were both expecting to just like immediately like, you know, be back to buddy, buddy and like best friends and be like, Oh my God, like we, we, have each other's backs and like neither one of them really lived up to that for the other person. So I think it's a, a two way street. I think, you know, Heather could have easily said things to Shannon that would have made Shannon feel supported and heard. And Shannon could have said things to Heather that made Heather feel supported and heard all of that. When it comes to like the Nicole Weiss rumors, I I personally think Shannon knew what she was doing. She's a smart woman. I think when you're on a show like this, especially when it's like the day before filming is about to start, you don't like spill a rumor to your castmates if you are truly hoping that like this is never going to come up, you know? Um, I, I just don't buy I don't buy it. 
I was shocked that they talked about it in that capacity on the reunion. They basically said, you dropped this in our laps for us to carry and create a whole storyline. It's interesting when Bravo lets the fourth wall like come down, you know, and I just didn't expect them to say it in that way. Yeah, well, I'm glad that they do because so much of what goes on on screen is um, skewed by things that are happening off screen. And so it's really important to like get those little pieces. And that's why I try to listen to as many of the housewives podcasts as possible, like during the seasons, because they fill in a lot of those, you know, little, uh, little holes. But yeah, so I think Shannon knew what she was doing. 100%. Um, I personally like probably would have done what Gina and, Uh, Emily did, which was be like, look, you're trying to blow up Heather. I'm going to blow up you. Um, And I think that that also was like a a move that was done strategically for the show. You know, they're all, they're all trying to create a storyline in one way, shape or form. So if, you know, they are thinking Shannon's using us for a storyline to try and take down Heather, let's just make the storyline about, you know, blowing up Shannon's game. So, So yeah, go for it. That's how I felt about it. Um, when it comes to the reunion and how it was brought up and, you know, specifically Heather bringing up that point, I saw obviously the internet thought that Heather was like a raging see you next Tuesday for it. They thought it was completely out of line and that it had no relevance being brought up. I understood her point, which was that, you know, we all knew that when you were sitting on this couch five years ago or six years ago, whenever, and you were saying to everyone, to the world, like, David and I are fine. We just got home from Hawaii. All is good. We all knew that that was bullshit. We all knew that on that trip to Hawaii, you had called Vicky drunk, screaming, sending her pictures covered in bruises, which we find out a couple years later at a reunion. That's the same Hawaii trip that Shannon was talking about at that reunion. So when Heather's saying, like, we all sat there and we kept our mouths shut while, while you sat you and David sat there lying to all of us, lying to Andy, lying to America. We sat there and smiled and nodded. And we didn't mention anything about the affair until you brought it up yourself. So I get her point. I really do. I, no, I, I understand it. I get what she was saying. It just It was almost like an, an analogy. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And we all know how that goes over, right? It doesn't, it doesn't play so well in, in Housewives uh, yeah. land. Yeah. Do you think, I hadn't really thought about this um, in this way until you mentioned the bruises, but do you think there's tension between Shannon and Gina because both have, um, at least in Shannon's case, allegedly experienced domestic violence at the hands of their partner, but only Gina has been upfront about it? Yeah, so I actually do, and this wasn't your question, but I do think that Shannon does have some jealousy towards Gina, which was a big topic of conversation this year. But I don't think that jealousy comes from Gina's casita or her relationship with Travis or her new skincare line, anything like that. I think it comes from what you just said, which is that Gina's divorce and all of that played out much differently than Shannon's did. And I think probably subconsciously Shannon looks at Gina and the relationship she now has with her ex Matt and, and how you know strong she was during all of that and how she didn't, you know, cower and, and lie and defend her abusive partner. She really, you know, stood her own. Um, yeah. I'm sure Shannon probably has like a little bit of jealousy just in the, or maybe not jealousy. Maybe she just like looks at Gina and is like, wow, like I wish I could have handled it that way. Um, but 
yeah, I, I think that that's kind of, I think that's where more of that comes from than like, I don't think Shannon gives two shits about Cara Gala skincare, you know? No, I had never thought about this way. I mean, I've never been so shocked as to when Vicky said, you know, he hits you or he hurt you. And Shannon just like went into a rage. Like, how dare you say that? And that's what made me think like, oh, like, that's true. Like, that probably happened just because of her reaction was so over the top. And I mean, this is really dark stuff. It's, oh. Yeah, well, and and also, too, you know, I think someone, because I, I tweeted basically saying, like, I, I see Heather's point of view on this. I understand why she brought, you know, uh, Shannon's failed marriage up. No, it's not relevant to this season, but it's relevant in, like, the bigger picture in terms of, like, hey, we all try and have each other's back. And when I came back onto the show, I felt like you clearly were, like, you know, trying to throw me under the bus. So I, I got that. And when I tweeted that, someone responded and basically was like, you know, Heather has always been gunning for Shannon. She's always lying on her. She did this, you know, seasons ago when Shannon uh, came to her house and she kicked her out and blah, 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 and all of those things. And, you know, and someone referenced like, and clearly Heather was lying because if she knew about the affair, then she lied to Shannon's face and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, so we're thinking about that scene in Heather's house where Heather goes, you know, we're done, please leave. And all that is going on. Shannon's accusing Heather and Tamara and all of them of gossiping about this, you know, the affair. If we now know, they all knew the affair was going on at that time. What the hell was Heather supposed to say in her living room with all the cameras on? Yeah, we were gossiping about you at Fig and Olive. We were talking about how your husband's cheating on you. And then the girl who texted your husband, that's the chick that he's having an affair with. Sorry. Like, no, she, in that moment, I actually see it as Heather protecting Shannon. The cameras were up. She was like, she, you watching it back now, you can kind of see how Shannon or how Heather the whole time is like, we, you don't want to open this can of worms. You don't want to talk to me about this right now with these cameras here. You don't want to be asking me these questions. Like go home and talk to your husband, you know? Um, because again, she could have fucking blown up Shannon's world on camera that night. (laughs) It's just, it's interesting that, Heather said you broke the code like you we are not supposed to talk about careers or families and you went after both my husband and his career and for me part of me understands like as if they're real friends there is things that you say or don't say on camera but as a viewer I'm like no we want you to say all the things you would normally say if cameras weren't there yeah so I don't know. It, it it worries me when they talk about all these codes and stuff about what they say and don't say, because that's how Beverly Hills got to be awful, where they all oh, yeah. had this like agreement about what could be said and couldn't be said. And then nothing was said. It was like nothing ever happened. They're talking about some dog, you know, who ended up doing just fine. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and that's like such a, like a classic thing on Beverly Hills, because even years before that with Adrian Maloof and her surrogacy that they, you know, no yes. one would talk about and they had to bleep it out. And all of the other ladies were like, Brandy, how could you even say that word? And so clearly they all sat down ahead of the season and were like, okay, this is what you cannot talk about, you know? Yep. So yeah, I, I get that. Um, and part but of me I also, thinks like you shouldn't go on a show if there are pieces of your life that you don't want people to know about. And yes. I know that 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 season was like newer into the reality TV 
time, yeah. you know? So maybe Adrian Lufu is like, there's just this one thing. Right. But if there are things you don't want your children to know, like, don't go on a show. Totally. Totally. And in that instance, 100%. Um, going back to like the Shannon and Heather of it all, like, obviously, you know, they didn't, I don't know how soon before filming Shannon knew about the affair or all of that. But I do think that, you know, Heather is in like kind of a shitty position because now while, you know, she's trying to explain to Shannon, look, like we were sitting on this secret of yours that we knew could potentially hurt your family. And none of us said anything. And people are mad at her for bringing it up years later, despite the fact that like it all played out on TV. We all saw how it went down. We all know David had an affair. That's no secret. But if you flash back, it had, she brought it up during that season and, and called it out. Everyone would have, called her a bitch and been like, how could you possibly out Shannon and David on TV like that? You know? So it's like, a, it's kind yeah. of a lose lose. It is. It is such a lose lose. Now let me know if you agree with me on this. I felt like all of the Shannon versus Gina drama really go back to, aside from what we talked about, about the violence is Shannon not giving Gina and Emily the time of day when they joined the show and yeah. now once her friends are gone she has no one else to lean on then she's you know befriending them that's yeah. at least from Gina's point of view that's what I heard from yeah, her I could I can totally see that um, I also can see how maybe they would, you know, all of this plays into what happened at the beginning of the season with the Nicole Weiss rumors. Like if they feel like, oh, Shannon is all of a sudden buddying up to us and we don't know why. And then they're like, oh, it's because they, she wanted us to know this secret and do her dirty work. Like that probably played into it too. And if you recall last season, when the season started, that was Shannon was being accused of the same thing. She had told Bronwyn to like look stuff up about the new wife, Elizabeth Vargas. So this isn't mm-hmm. new for Shannon, you know? Um, so I, I think it was definitely that. It was like, why is she becoming our friend now all of a sudden? Um, and then I also think that part of it is what Gina touched on, which is that I truly believe Shannon likes people who are down. And that's not necessarily a bad quality. Like you want to have a friend who's going to pick you up when you're at your lowest. And I think that's when Shannon shines. Um, Like even during the Vicky cancer scam, like Shannon was the one who was really supporting them and trying to get them all these doctors and all these things, you know, but when someone is like winning, she, she, in my opinion, tends to feel like a little bit jealous or a little bit like slighted, you know? So I think she likes people when she can help them, but when people don't need her help, she feels, maybe she feels useless or, or, or whatever. But so I think that's part of it too, where Gina is like, you, you know, you, it's just like a, a weird thing. Why are you constantly bringing up my like low points now that we're friends, now that I'm thriving? Why are you constantly throwing my DUI in my face? Like, why are you constantly reminding me of how you got me my attorney? Like, yes, I, I'm thankful, but you're trying to bring me back down to that place. Yeah, no, I, I could see all of that. I also think there is a part of Gina that doesn't want to look back because she's happy where she is now and sometimes tries totally. to downplay the DUI situation, yeah. you know, she oh, for sure. fucked up and she got herself in a terrible position where she could have been arrested. And without Shannon's help, she would have not, you know, gotten through that in the same way. And absolutely. While she shouldn't have to constantly bring it up and think, you know, Shannon, like what has, you know, that Shannon really stepped up for her. Like, what has she been doing for Shannon? Like if they're truly friends, you know, 
Yeah, totally. And I think Gina fell into like a classic scenario that a lot of housewives do, which is like when you don't want something to be talked about, then like stop talking about it. You know, like had she just laughed off Shannon's comments and been like, yeah, I got, yeah, it's no big deal. Got a DUI, like whatever it wouldn't have become a storyline again, you know, but the fact that she got upset about it and then they had to sit down and talk about it. And it's like, now we're all reminded of your DUI, you know? Yeah. She acts like she's so innocent, but she can be quite mean. Well, no, no, no. That's just the demon inside of her. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta exercise that bitch. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, shall we chat very briefly about Summer House? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So do you like do you like the show? Is it like are you more of a housewives person? I'm more of a housewives person. I think I just like resonate more with middle-aged women for some reason. <laughs> um but I I do like Summer House. Um I I like, you know, the all the shifting dynamics and and uh I don't know. It's yeah, it's fun watching like youngish people be ridiculous but like some of them are kind of aging out for me we're like getting to that point where with some of them i'm like it's a little sad i love it i really feel <laughs> like i relate to them so much because they're the only show where the people that are in their like 30s and whatever have jobs that they're yes. that they're really they're really responsible for a lot and they have yeah. things outside of the show which make for me, I think it makes the show better because the show isn't their only source of income. It isn't the only reason that they exist, right? Yeah. I wish when, I actually wish we got to see yeah. more of like their me outside too. lives. Maybe that's, that's what I'm interested in. Yeah. Like Lindsay had her own PR firm for many years. I think she stepped back from it after everything happened with the miscarriage and, you know, and decided to lean in a little bit more to the reality TV stuff and Instagram stuff. But, you know, Kyle and Carl and Amanda have a thriving company. I mean, it's not easy to break into the beverage scene when you've got you're up against truly, you know, and all the Bud Light spritzer, all the, you know, those big names that people know. I find it um, great. But you know. Yeah, it's unfortunate we don't really get to see much of that. You know, um, we get to see them like you know heading back to the city at the end of the weekend, but we we really only get like you know those quick montages of them in the city, and I, I think that would help show us a more well-rounded side of them. I just like all we see are their weekends. So it gets right. to be like very overwhelming again, as someone who like, I don't drink a lot. I don't like, you know, to me going out is like having like a nice dinner with, with friends. Um, so I get, I'm like exhausted by the end of an episode, honestly. It is exhausting. I can't imagine how they can just like keep going. And I think we all know that there's a lot of Adderall involved and other substances. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> you know, Carl has spoken about and I, yeah, I just, I feel like we got a lot last season when they were quarantined in the house. And so you got to see, you know, who's really working all the time and what their life is like away from the weekend time versus like Paige and Hannah who are just like sitting in, you know, Sierra doing nothing. Although, I mean, clearly Sierra has a job as a nurse and all that. I I wish we got to see more of their city dynamics. And I'm wondering as they get older and, you know, now Kyle and Amanda are married, if they have a kid, like all of that, I don't think the show can be the same, but we'll see. Yeah. And it's also, it's just like such a unique um, 
concept. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like a combination of like, you know, a traditional Bravo style show, but then also like the real world or big brother, like they're all thrown into a house together. So like, there's that roommate element. Um, I almost feel like I, I personally would like it a little bit more if it was the same cast of characters, but just like about their lives in the city and they all have their own places and they get together when they want to get together. Um, but I mean, that would be a completely different show. So now I'm just trying to take Andy's job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is interesting to see that they have cameras all the time. So you, they really do capture everything. It is, mm-hmm. it's fascinating. I find it to be a just terribly fun show. For me, I just find it so fun, so funny. And they are a true, authentic group of friends. Yes. And, you know, even Sierra and Paige, who seem kind of like separate, you know, are very close to Amanda, who's married to Kyle, who's really good friends with Lindsay and, you know, all of that. So what do you think of, I guess, sort of the dynamics in the house of the younger group versus the older group i don't i mean it's kind of hard to tell them apart they're all acting like 17 year olds (laughs) Um, yeah i i i like the energy from the younger kids um it's funny like i i feel like now we're kind of having some of the older players wanna wanna almost take like a mentor role in a way but they like have no qualifications to be telling anyone like how to live or, or do things um, yeah, I, I mean, ultimately I, I agree. I think it's just like a really fun show. I like the fact that they do all have like a, a real connection and, and real dynamics. And that's what keeps it from just being like, okay, we're all going to team up on one side and you're all going to team up on other side because like we can really divide ourselves that way. But in this house, like you said, one person might be fighting with another person, but that person's married to your best friend. And then they're sleeping with the other, the person down the hall. It's like, you literally are all connected. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. It's kind of like, you know, the concept that they're giving us with ultimate girls trip, which is like throwing all of them into a house and, and hiding cameras. Um, But, you know, for an entire summer. Yeah, I I just find it fascinating and fun and interesting. But I wonder how much longer it can go on. We'll see. What's given it a new kind of breath of life is the overlap with Southern Charm. And Mm -hmm. it's not that I like love seeing the guys from Southern Charm on Summer House, but it is showing something that Bravo has tried to hide um, which is the fact that people from different shows and franchises hang out together. You know, mm-hmm. Meredith Marks was visiting the women um, from Jersey at their baseball game, and they didn't show her while, you know, she's there. Right. And they the same thing when they were filming Vanderpump Rules, they used to make sure that Craig wasn't, you know, on camera, even though he was at the party. And I yeah. just, we, like, it's, I've never seen the Avengers. I don't watch any of those, like, you know, I don't know, any of the superhero stuff. But, like, people love seeing characters from different yeah. shows and franchises, like, team up together. And I don't know oh, yeah. why they've held that back from us for so long. And I love seeing it. Everyone loves a crossover event. I remember, like, as a kid, like, the the biggest night, of my life was when like boy meets world and Sabrina, the teenage witch did like a crossover episode. And it literally was just like Salem, the cat, like walked through the background of boy meets world. But I was like, Oh my God, right? my worlds are colliding. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, I love shit like that. It's super fun. And it's interesting too, that they have, 
tried to hide that when it when it seems to work for them but because they also like showcase it in other ways like the way that they started summer house was at the end of vanderpump rules it was like a trip that the girls took on vanderpump rules and then it like segued into the premiere of summer house you know um so they definitely wanted us to like be introduced to these characters through stassi and sheena and Kristen and all them but then they were like but now they're not friends anymore (laughs) Yeah, well, the people that started were kicked off by season three. Right. So yeah, the twins <laughs> and all of that. It's just it's just interesting because so much of the drama, especially in like Winter House and Summer House, is a result of these people doing press together, these people meeting at Bravo events, sleeping together. You know, Austin and um, and Lindsay, like that whole thing, and they've been yeah. friends as a result of both being these Bravo liberties and then we've never seen anything. And then all of a sudden it like all plays out on camera. It's fun for us to watch. Oh, absolutely. Totally. Well, thank you so much, Blake, for being on. Um, It's always, you know, it's great to talk to you. I love following you on social media. Tell everyone where they can find you and where they can listen to your podcast. Blonde hair, black heart. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find us on social media at Blonde Hair Black Heart. Um, my personal Instagram is my, my name, Blake, but there's seven A's in it. So it's like, Blake. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and then, yeah, you can hear Blonde Hair Black Heart wherever you listen to podcasts. We have a new episode out every Monday. Um, sometimes I interview a really fun guest, a lot of Bravo celebrities, a lot of other random cool people. Last week's episode had um, 90s heartthrob Andrew Keegan from 10 Things I Hate About You. I, I he, saw that. I love yeah, that. <laughs> he, he spills some really great tea about who may or may not have been hooking up on the set of that movie so definitely go check it out oh that's so fun i i loved that movie i even own the soundtrack so good so good (laughs) i was because i was talking to him in our interview and we were talking about the like castle of a high school that they filmed at and i was like yeah it gave me like very uh like a very wrong impression of what high school was going to be because when i showed up freshman year i was expecting like a ska band performing on the roof of the school (laughs) (laughs) Like in Seattle, like overlooking the water, you know? Exactly, exactly. That was so good. I think they talked about that show also on I Am The Cute One podcast, which is a nostalgia podcast. Yeah, I love uh, Donnie and Donnie, oh my God, they're great. so great. (laughs) Well, thanks so much, Blake, and we will chat again soon. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. 